I'm going to pray before we do that. Let's pray. Happy Father's Day, Dad. You're everything that we could ever have dreamed of in a father, and we're so blessed to be able to call you Dad. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're so thankful that you were so full of love and joy, you decided to expand the family and make us in your image. Thank you. All of us made in your image. And we're so thankful you made us male and female with a purpose. And we're so thankful that you instituted marriage as, a, as one man and one woman. And when a husband and wife come together, we get to partner with you to fill the earth with with human beings that are made in the image of God, thank you. And we thank you for all the dads here who, who love their wives and, and love their kids and, and work hard and pray that they would feel valued today. And, and yet, Father, we know that a day that's so happy for so many is so sad for many, many have lost their fathers, comfort them. And many fathers have lost their children. Oh, Lord, minister to them. And men maybe who dreamed about getting married or having children have not been able to, Lord, minister to them. And so many of us didn't have a great relationship with our dad. Lord, heal broken hearts and remind us we do have that father we long for in you. As we open your word together, forgive the one who teaches for his sins are many and help us to see Jesus. Lord, we're broken, our church is broken, our nation is broken. We need revival. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And as we rejoice in you, may there be a great spiritual awakening that spreads through our land of people turning to you, for you are our only hope. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a pastor's daughter Ask her dad, she said, Dad, why do you always pray before you preach on Sundays? And the dad said, well, I want God to help me with my sermon. The little girl thought about that for a moment. She says, Daddy, why doesn't God answer your prayer? <laughs> Nothing like being a dad, right? Recently, I'm watching this dad, and he's speaking, and, and, and here's what he said. He said, listen... When mom ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy, right? And then he went on and says, and when dad ain't happy, nobody cares. <laughs> it's way too true, isn't it, dads? Oh, listen, there is no person more disrespected in our culture today than a dad, right? They're, they're even thought of as though they were not necessary. Dads, I, I want to speak to you. I want to speak to all of you, but I want to speak to dads. I believe almost every problem in our homes and churches and community could be solved if men loved Jesus. If men loved Jesus and they hooked their wagons to Jesus and said, I want to follow him no matter what the price, almost every problem we face in our homes and community and church could be solved. And and uh, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm in. And I'm inviting you to join me, will you? Today's message is called that Dads Lead the Way. Dads Lead the Way. And dads understand something. Dads lead the way because a good leader is a good follower. 
A good dad is a good follower of Jesus. No, uh, not following our culture, but following Jesus. And, and that's really the point we're going to unpack today, is that Jesus leads the way. Jesus leads the way. The reason I love to follow Jesus, he's the best leader ever, because Jesus goes first. He doesn't point us where we don't know where we're going, but he goes first, and after he goes first, he turns back to us and says what? Follow me. And you know what? Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. Greatest leader ever, he went first. He went farthest, and then he says to us, follow me, and I'll show you how to be a leader. So you might say, well, what would that look like? What would that look like to, to, to follow Jesus and be a good leader? I, I want to introduce you to one of my heroes. His name is Ezra. And Ezra was a good leader because he was a good follower. Now, I want you to know I have one Savior. He saves me. His name is Jesus. But I have many heroes. Heroes inspire us. They inspire us. And I believe that Ezra will inspire you to be a good leader by being a good follower of Jesus. So let's dig in in the book of Ezra which is in the Old Testament, probably one of your favorites, right, Ezra? In chapter 7, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah. So we're in chapter 7 of a book that bears his name, and this is the first time his name is mentioned. So there's 10 chapters. We're 70% through this book and the one that it's named after, the first time he appears. Now, I want you to notice how it starts with, now, after these things, what are these things? Now, I'm about to give you a brief history lesson. Stay awake, okay? Don't fall asleep. Here's the history lesson. After King Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Israel would fall first, and then later, many years later, Judah would fall, and the people were taken captive into Babylon. And as they went, Jeremiah the prophet said, after 70 years, when 70 years are complete, God will restore his people. So, the book preceding Ezra is 2 Chronicles. And here's how 2 Chronicles ends and Ezra begins. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah." Isn't that amazing? God worked in the Persian king, giving him a desire to see the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt after 70 years, just like God said. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And so, just like God said, Cyrus said, whoever wants to go back to Jerusalem, any Jew who wants to go back can go back and rebuild the temple. So let me give you a little chart that will help you here a little bit too, okay? As you read through Ezra and Nehemiah, there are three waves of people who come back. The first wave was led by Zerubbabel, who, who would go back to Jerusalem, and he would rebuild the temple. So Zerubbabel led the first wave. That's what we just read about in 2 Chronicles. We're about to read the second wave in Ezra. But the first wave was by Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. Now, 80 years later, 
It's 80 years later, the second wave. We're about to read of the second wave of Jews going back to Jerusalem. And their mission, Ezra's mission, was to bring about a spiritual and moral renewal in Jerusalem. The temple was built, but the people were intermarrying, and there were all kinds of sins they were involved in. So God raised up Ezra to bring about a spiritual and moral renewal in Jerusalem. Um, could our country use a spiritual and moral renewal? Perhaps we should, what, pay attention to what we're about to read of how God went about bringing a spiritual and, and, and moral renewal in, in Jerusalem, right? So the first wave was, was Zerubbabel in the temple. The second wave was Ezra to bring about a spiritual and moral renewal. Uh, you might say, well, why didn't he go in the first wave? It's been 80 years. He probably wasn't alive when the first wave went back. It's been 80 years. And then 14, notice, 14 years after Ezra goes back, Nehemiah comes back to be the governor, and Nehemiah's mission is to rebuild the walls. You read Nehemiah, you see how he rebuilt the walls. Okay, now I've given you the little history lesson so we can go back to where we were reading. Ezra 7.1, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meraioth, son of Zerahah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishai, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. <laughs> Is that really how you say them? I have no idea. <laughs> but I think when you don't know, read fast and confidently and everybody will know how smart you are. <laughs> now, what, you, what I want you to understand about Ezra is Ezra was a priest. He was a priest, so what all these names are, he's, he's giving his credentials. These are his credentials as a priest. It's the genealogy all the way back from, from Ezra all the way back to Aaron, who was the first chief priest. I mean, he was a real priest, right? This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe. So we learned he's a, he's a priest, he's also a scribe. And what's a scribe? Skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. <clears throat> now, the law here is not speaking of the Ten Commandments. The first five books of the Bible are, are known as the Law of Moses or the Book of Moses. So Ezra was a scribe. He loved God's Word. He studied God's Word. He was an expert in God's Word. He taught God's Word. Notice that he's saying that this Law of Moses, God had given, God had breathed into Moses, and we have the Word of God, which the Lord of Israel had given and the king granted him all that he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Now the next thing, he's a priest, he's a scribe, he's a believer. We know he's a believer because he's walking with God and God is walking with him, right? Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. So God is sending Ezra back to bring about a spiritual and moral renewal. He's not alone. He's got a caravan with him. He's, he's traveling with a group of people. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. 
Do that math a little bit. How long did it take? Four months. Can, can you imagine walking through the desert for four months? I mean, you have women, you have children, you have animals, you're surrounded by hostile territory and bandits, and for four months, you're walking together through dangerous place. But notice how they got there. Um, they arrived on the first or the fifth month of Jerusalem because the hand of God was upon him. I love that. One of my favorite verses, faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. God had called, he had, he had called uh, Ezra, and he, he brought it to pass. He got them safely there. And then the verse that I love, we're going to spend most of the time looking at. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. The mission, remember what the mission was? It was to what? To help bring about a spiritual and moral renewal. All right? Now, what was his method? What was his plan? Notice his plan. Ezra's plan was to set his heart, to study God's word, to practice God's word, and to teach God's word. Would you like to see a moral and spiritual renewal in our community and country, would you? Listen, here was his plan to accomplish what God had sent him to do. What he did was he set his heart to study, practice, and teach God's law. Now, I want you to know that Ezra was a good leader because Ezra was a good follower. As Ezra studied God's word, nobody saw that God's word is one story. Did you know that? From Genesis to Revelation, the main character of the Bible isn't you. The main character in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus. The whole Bible is gospel. And someone this week was asking me, well, where is Jesus in Genesis? Are you kidding me? Remember when, when Adam and Eve sinned that God promised Adam and Eve that one day the seed of the woman, that the Savior would be born of a woman and he would crush the head of the serpent? There's Jesus. Remember Abraham? Remember what God told Abraham? In you, what? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. So as, as um, Ezra studied God's word, he met Jesus. He, he understood the gospel and he believed. Have you? Oh, what is the gospel? Luke 19, verse 10 tells us, doesn't it? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Um, the gospel means good news, but it has bad news. The bad news is the world is broken. Everybody with me? You think the world's broken? The, the problem, though, is a lot of people see that other people are broken, but not us. I love what someone said, every man's a good man in a bad world as he sees it. Isn't that true in our culture? That people are so quick to point at other people, right, and, and tell you what's wrong with them. But you know who's the biggest sinner in the room? That it, It's me. The Bible says it's a universal problem. Do you know what sin is? It's a crime against God. I ask so many people why God should let them into heaven. They say, I've never hurt anyone. Most people think of sin as primarily hurting one another. It completely escapes their mind that what sin is, it's a crime against God. Yes, it might hurt others. Yes, it might break rules. But above all else, it's a rebellion against God. And we're all guilty. We've sinned against God in what we've said and thought and done and left undone. Sin's very personal. 
Because we've sinned against God, God says what we deserve for what we have done is hell. What we deserve is to be separated from God in all good things forever. The bad news is very bad. We're lost. We're trapped in our sins. We're helpless to save ourselves. And once we understand the bad news, the good news is really, really good. Listen, sinners, listen, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man, Jesus is God the Son. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth, fully God and fully man. He came to seek and save us. By living a perfect life, by going to the cross as a sinless one, he could take our sins on himself, and he could die in our place, crying out from the cross, paid in full, paid in full, it is finished. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave, proving that he had conquered sin and death. And so Jesus offers all of us the greatest gift ever, the gift of eternal life, forgiveness for our sins. You ever done anything you'd like to be forgiven of? He gives us the opportunity on life to do life with him, to follow him. He gives us the chance to do eternity with him because we're all eternity. We're, we're eternal, either eternity with him or without him. And how do we get this gift? In John 6, <clears throat> will you read this with me? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Let's do that one more time. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So who does Jesus say has eternal life? So do you believe? Because if you do, do you realize what that means? That you have eternal life, that you are forgiven, that you get to do every day on earth with Jesus, and you get to spend eternity with him. And if you say, well, well, I'm not sure, or I don't know how, it means you, you don't have eternal life. So, so what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It, it really is as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. To have eternal life begins when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and, and I'm sorry. Not just other people, I've committed crimes against you. Is that you? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. Is that you? And then we commit. That means we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. To trust Jesus as Savior is saying, I'm not trusting in my ability to be good and save myself. Jesus, I'm putting all my trust in you. I want you to forgive me and give me eternal life, won't you? And to trust Jesus as the Lord says, today the rebellion against you ends. Today I surrender. As you become the Lord and give me strength, I'll follow you all the days of my life. If you've never done that, won't you? Man, you can do that right now. Listen, admit, believe, and commit. If you need help, I'd be glad to assist you when we close in prayer to admit and believe and commit and receive eternal life. But if you've done that, I want you to know you have eternal life. When you go to bed tonight, you're forgiven. Thank him. Thank you, Jesus, right? And you know what it means? You get to do life with Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, he moves in. Know what he says? I'm Lord now. I lead, you follow, right? Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? Listen, we've turned over the control of our life to Jesus, right? Um, and that's what we see with Ezra. What we see with Ezra is he's believed in Jesus. He's hooked his wagon to Jesus, and now he wants to follow Jesus, so he set his heart to study God's Word, and then to practice God's Word, and then to teach God's Word. So when we look at Ezra, you know what we see? We see a little picture of Jesus, don't we? I mean, isn't he a picture of Jesus? I mean, could we say that Jesus is a better Ezra than, than Ezra? Wouldn't that be true? 
that Jesus is a better Ezra than Ezra because couldn't we say that Jesus set his heart, what, to, to, to study God's word and then to practice it and then to teach it? Oh, let's look at Jesus. He set his heart. And let me ask you, what is your heart set on? What is your heart set on? Jesus' heart was set on obeying his Father. Jesus' heart was set on going to Jerusalem and dying for our sins and rising. Did you know that? In Luke 9, if you're studying the Gospels, um, there's a pivot in Luke 9 that, that Jesus turns and he, and he sets his heart, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. He's, he's headed to the cross to do what the Father's asked him to do, to, to save us from our sins. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, what was his heart? His heart was set on the cross, wasn't it? And he sent messengers ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. He had he had set his heart on saving us. He had set his heart on doing what the Father had asked him to do, right? So listen, for Jesus had set his heart to study God's word, right? If you study the life of Jesus, we, we find him who loved God's word, don't we? Where is Jesus at 12? Where do we have a story of Jesus at 12? Where is he? He's in the... And what's he doing? He's studying God's Word. He's asking questions and being taught, right? He loved God's Word. He's, when, when Jesus began his ministry and the devil tempts him, how does he respond? He what? He, he quotes Scripture. Why? Because he had studied Scripture. He had memorized Scripture. He could use Scripture to overcome the enemy, right? Where do we find Jesus over and over again on the Sabbath? He's where? He's in the synagogue, right? He's in the synagogue where God's Word is read and taught, right? We see Jesus continually quoting the Old Testament in his teaching because Jesus had set his heart to study God's Word and to practice it. Have you set your heart not only to study God's Word but to practice it? Well, what do I mean? Look at this verse in John 8. Uh, in, in John 8, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking and he says, And he who sent me is with me. The Father sent him. He's with him. And notice what he says. He's not left me alone for I, what? I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Well, you know, Smiley, do you always do the things that are pleasing to God? I've learned this from Dave Ackerman. He's pretty smart. I would say, well, I do except when I don't. Do I always do the things that are pleasing to God? Well, I do except when I don't. Is that you? You know, the difference between Jesus and us is Jesus, what he always did the things that were pleasing to the Father. So what do we see with Jesus? Jesus had what? He had set his heart, listen, to, to do what the Father wanted, to study God's Word so he would know what the Father wanted him to do. And then he set his heart to practice it, to do it, so he could accomplish his mission. And then he set his heart to teach. Didn't Jesus teach? Um, let's, let's go back to John 6. I, I want to teach you how Jesus taught. Uh, in John 6, uh, verse 47, see how it says truly, truly? Know what that word is for Truly. Some of you, it's okay to say it. It's amen. So, so what he said was, amen, amen. Now, here's what a lot of us don't understand. Here's what would happen in a synagogue. In a synagogue, someone would read the scriptures, 
And after they read the scriptures, then they would teach. And if the elders, if the elders in the synagogue believed what the guy said was true, they would say at the end of his talking, amen, amen. And Jesus blew their minds because he didn't wait for them, did he? He said it what at the beginning. He started his teaching, amen, amen. This is God's word. <laughs> so, so that blew their mind. And, and he said, truly, truly. And then he said what? I say to you, he didn't quote different rabbis. That's how they taught. He blew their minds. Jesus taught God's word. <laughs> Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus gave this great, great sermon, and, and at the end of it, he blew their minds the way he taught in Matthew chapter 7. Look at this. And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were what? They were amazed. Why? Because his teaching was so different. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Do you know where authority comes from? Listen, he walked with God. He had set his heart to walk with God. He knew God's word. He practiced God's word. So then he could teach with authority, right? You see, Jesus leads the way. He goes first. He sets his heart. He sets his heart to follow his Father. He sets his heart to study God's Word and practice it and teach it. And he invites us to come. Dads. Want to be a good dad? Disciple makers. You want to be a good disciple maker? You lead a small group. You want to be a good small group leader? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Let's set our hearts. Let's set our heart to follow Jesus. Let's set our hearts to study God's word, to practice God's word, and to teach it, okay? Oh, which, by the way, that is our action step for the week. What I want you to do is exactly what Ezra did and exactly what Jesus did. I want you to set your hearts to study, to practice, and teach God's word. Let's walk through that step by step. Set our hearts. You want to go somewhere. You get out your GPS. You enter in what? Where you want to go, right? Don't you? Yesterday, we went down to celebrate our three granddaughters' birthday in Bartow. So we put in the address, right? We put in where we want to go. What is the destination of your life? What have you set your heart on? Have you set your heart on following Jesus? Won't you? Set our hearts to study. Wow. You know why we study God's word? Because we can't follow Jesus if we don't, what? If we don't know him. Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we go to small group? Isn't that why we get up and read the Bible? So that we can know Jesus because we can't follow him if we don't know him. Listen, let's set our hearts to follow Jesus by studying his word. Practicing his word. When we meet Jesus, what does he say to us? He says what? He says, follow me, right? <laughs> Isn't that why we read? I mean, we do want to know him, but don't we want more than to know him? Doesn't he say, follow me? As we read the scriptures, are we continually praying, Holy Spirit, help me to see the beauty of Christ. Give me the desire and power to follow him. Listen, this week, let's set our hearts on Jesus and study his word so that we know him and practice him so we follow him and then teach, teach. You know why teaching is so important? Have you ever noticed in the study, you ever notice in the study, we encourage you to, to read the word and then to pray the word, that's pray that you would follow it and then to share the word. 
Know why it's so important? When we share the word with others, it helps us. It helps us follow Jesus. It helps us study the word. It helps us practice the word. It really, really does. Do you know the great danger of being a pastor is you get into studying the word and teaching the word. And what have you left out? Practicing it, right? And so what do people often say to their preacher? Why don't you practice what you preach, right? Do you know the danger of being a church member? The danger of being a church member is you're studying the word and you're practicing the word, but you never teach the word. You never share what you're learning with others. But listen, if we want to follow Jesus, listen, studying, practicing, and teaching all help us follow Jesus. Let me show you. You're a dad. It's Father's Day. You want to be a good dad. Let me show you the, the great Old Testament passage on being a good dad is in Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema. The Shema. It's, it's the confession that all Jewish people would make. And it starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And so they confess that there's one God and that they're followers of the one true God. He's our God. And then notice what it says. You shall love the Lord your God. Are you a dad? Do you want your children to love God? You go first. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. See, dads, set your heart to follow Jesus. Set your heart to, to study his word. Set your heart to practice, to love God. And then, as you practice it, then you teach it, right? You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Years ago in our church in Boca Raton, we had a, a couple came in. One year they would teach parenting, one year marriage. The guy's name was Bob, and he was teaching about the importance of dad's leading. And I'll never forget this question. It's a little outdated, but you'll get the point. This guy raised his hand and, and said, Bob, um, here, I'd like to know how I can teach my, my children to obey the police and still use my fuzzbuster, his radar detector. Isn't that a question a lot of us would ask? How can we get our children to love Jesus and follow him without doing it ourselves? And I'll never forget, Bob Barnes says you have a choice. You can teach your children to obey the police, or you can use your fuzzbuster, but you cannot do both. Isn't that what it means that dads lead, isn't it? It means that we go first, right? Do we want our children to love Jesus? Are we willing to go first and love him ourselves? Are we willing to set our hearts to study and practice and teach God's word? I know, I know some of you say, well, 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 I'm not a dad. What about me? But hopefully you're a disciple maker. You're a small group leader. And, and I want to show you a verse from the New Testament. The apostle Paul was not a dad. He wasn't a dad, but he, but he, had, he set his heart in the same direction. Listen in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Notice what Paul as a disciple maker said. Wouldn't this be great for you as a small group leader, as a disciple maker? What did he say? He said, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You see, Paul was responsible for other people. He was a leader. He was a disciple maker. So he knew he needed to go first. And so he said his heart, 
to follow Jesus. And he said, his heart to study the word. And he said, his heart to practice it. And he said, his heart to teach. And as he was walking, he said, hey, follow me and, and I'll help you follow Jesus. Jesus said to us, what, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I've been so blessed for almost my entire Christian life. I've always been involved in the mission. I've always been involved in helping others. And there is nothing that helps us grow more than being responsible for other people. You see, what moves us to set our hearts to follow Jesus and study his word and practice his word and teach his word is there's people we're responsible for. So several people have asked me, you know, hey, did you and Karen sleep together before you got married? Now, now, let me tell you something. I was a pastor before I married my wife. And every Sunday, I would stand in front of God's people, and I would teach people what God's Word taught. And I'm a very flawed person. I can mess up with anything, but I can't set my heart to go in the wrong direction and then stand before people and encourage them to set their heart to go in the right direction. Listen, there was no way dating my wife, being out on Saturday night, that I was going to sleep with her and get up on Sunday morning and tell other people they ought not. And so I said, Lord, help me to follow you. I've set my heart, have you? I've set my heart to study God's word and, and to practice it so that I can teach God's people, right? Oh, our church in Boca, we were walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't, I don't know, but Matthew 6, Matthew 6, it, it says, when you give, give like this. I was a pastor. I was all forgiving. And, and I gave, and, and, and I could call other people to give, study, practice, teach, right? And when you pray, and I'm all in for prayer, and, and uh, you know, study, practice, teach. You know what's next? Some of you know what's next. When you fast. What's that? I've never seen that before. But you know what happens when you're the teacher? You can't just skip over it. And I thought, how can I teach on something that I've never practiced? So you know what I did during the week? I read everything I could about fasting. I read because I couldn't teach if I didn't first practice, at least set my heart to practice, right? You see, being responsible for others is what moved me. It's what moved me to set my heart to follow Jesus and study his word. So I practiced it that week, and then, then I could teach, right? I don't have to be a master of everything to teach it, but I should what? I should set my heart in that direction, right? Um, isn't it true with everything, isn't it? I want you guys to share your faith. I want you to share your faith. So know what I do? I go first. I go first. I set my heart to share my faith, to follow Jesus, right? and to study his word, and to practice so that I can teach you to do the same, right? Listen, I want your marriages to last. I do. I do. I want your marriages to last. I want to help you. That's why I go first. I want to show you how. I've shared with you many times. There's three steps, right? There's three steps to a happily imperfect marriage. Really? You know what they are? See, I teach, so I remember so much better than you. Maybe you have step number one is I didn't marry Jesus. All you married people. Isn't that true? You figured that out, right? I didn't marry Jesus. Step one's pretty easy. Step two is much harder. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Man, if you're at step two, you're well on the way. You know what step three is? I need Jesus. 
to love my spouse. Isn't that true of all of us? But you know what? As I teach you over and over again, you know what happens? I always hear the Spirit saying, you know, Smiley, maybe you ought to practice what you preach, right? Oh, how many times in my marriage I'm sitting there and I'm so frustrated and I remember what I taught you. I didn't marry Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I need Jesus to love my wife. Listen, that's why it's so important to lead. Leading others is what moves us to, to follow Jesus and study and practice and teach his word. Oh, a few years ago, one last one, then I'm done, but a few years ago, my left leg decided not to work with my right leg, and I was going to see all these specialists, and they sent me to get an MRI of my brain. I was really worried about it. nothing would be there, right? <laughs> Have you ever had an MRI? They say it's high-tech, but I had had one before this. It seemed to me when, it, when I had an MRI that I was back being a kid in the bathtub and my brothers and sister were banging on the bathtub with a hammer. And I just knew they were filming me and laughing at me because it doesn't sound high-tech. But this was a brain MRI, and I am extremely claustrophobic. And as God would have it that week, the message was something about don't worry, just pray. You know, so I get there and they say, would you like some drugs to stay in here? I really wanted some drugs, okay? But for your sake, I didn't take them. You know why? Because I knew on Sunday I would be standing before you. And leaders do what? They go first, right? Oh, man, for 60 minutes or however long in there, I was praying without ceasing. Do you know that thing is like right here? And I'm extremely claustrophobic and I'm praying the Lord's Prayer and I'm praying through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Oh, God, give me peace. The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because they trust in you. Be anxious for nothing. And I'm praying the whole time. But I want you to know, that helped me teach you on Sunday. You know why? Because I had experienced what I would be asking you to do, right? Do you know what the great need in our country is? It's for men who love Jesus. And I want you to know I am very, very flawed, but I love Jesus. And I don't want to waste my life. And I plead with the men here, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Will you join me? Will you join me? Let's help each other. Let's help each other follow Jesus, will you? Let's help each other study God's Word. It's the Word of God. Let's help each other. Let's help each other practice it. Let's pray for one another and encourage one another. Let's help each other teach, share what we're learning. Wouldn't you love to see what Jesus would do if men loved Jesus? If we were willing today to set our hearts to follow Jesus together, to study his word together, to practice his word together, to teach his word together. Don't you want to find out? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful you came to seek and save the lost, us. Thank you for that life of obedience, even to the point of death on a cross. Thank you for dying in our place and rising and offering us eternal life. Listen, if you're here today and 
you've never believed, won't you? Won't you, won't you believe in Jesus? Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to, to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to, to celebrate with you and pray for you. And Jesus, I want to thank you that when you were here on earth, you didn't only come to seek and save us, but you showed us how. You showed us how to be a leader. You showed us how to set our hearts to, to, to follow you. You showed us how to study and practice and teach your word. And Lord, I pray that all the men here, the fathers, the, the small group leaders, the disciple makers, Lord, I pray for all of us, men and women alike, that we would set our hearts today to follow you. This week that we would study your word so we can know you, that we would follow you, that we would tell others how amazing you are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.